Last week, we um, introduced a new series that we're going to be doing. For those who missed it or can't remember, from now to February, we are looking at seven signs and seven I am sayings in John's gospel. Um, And so we're going to start today. And do you know what the first sign is? It is water into wine. Um, I think this is probably one of my most favorite miracles. Um, not because I've got issues of alcohol, um, just I love it. I think it's amazing. And today, hopefully, you'll feel the same afterwards. Um, in almost every movie, I'm pretty sure most movies I've watched, at least in every Disney movie, movie maybe Gemma can correct me now, there is a, <laughs> there is a common narrative which occurs and it's known as the free act structure has anyone heard of this yes yes okay maybe i'm just slow but this is the free act structure are you wed- are you ready so there is you don't have to worry about the bottom it's mainly focus on the top there big every movie begins with a a setup okay and that basically introduces the characters the setting is often like happy ideal it's like a perfect scenario. And then, you know what happens, don't you, in most movies? The middle bit, the confrontation or the conflict. Um, something unexpected happens. You know, what is it? You can think of so many scenarios in films. Basically, there's a perfect scenario, and then it's put into jeopardy, isn't it? Can you give me an example from a film? <laughs> Surely you can. Any film. Huh? I'm not repeating the question. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll have to explain everything I just said. Um, so, I don't know. Frozen. What happens in Frozen? It's all perfect, wonderful. And then what happens? She, like, freezes everything and, and, and runs over, uh, runs away. That's, like, that's the, the confrontation. That's the conflict. That's act two. And then, you know, comes the best bit, right? The final act, the resolution. And and that's basically where the conflicts are solved. Often lessons are learned, harmony is restored, and and we leave the cinema feeling a bit emotionally satisfied, don't we? Um, That's the idea. That's why you go to cinema. You want to leave feeling like, oh, that was great. Um, That's the free act structure, very common in lots of movies. And you know, you're watching a film, you're like, I can predict what's going to happen because it is quite predictable sometimes. What on earth has that got to do with John's gospel? Um, Well, John does a lot of this. He does a lot of these narratives. He does a lot of these three-part narratives. And as I was reading John 2 today, I thought, there's the three-act structure right there in John 2. So rather than doing like a a three-point sermon, I'm going to do a three-act structure sermon. How's that sound? Yeah, that's fun. Right, that's what I thought. Um, water into wine, again, as I said, I love it. But And it's so it's so popular, isn't it, in even popular culture. If you say water into wine, people probably automatically think of Jesus. It's so synonymous with Jesus and, and Christianity. It's such a, a popular miracle. If you said um, the man at the pool in Bethsaida or whatever, people, people might not want to yawn about. Water into wine, ah, we know that, we know that sign, um, you know, it's a wonderful sign. So we're going to read John 2 today, and let's, it's just 11 verses, and I've got it on the screen if you don't have a Bible, 
and it's the NIV, and it says this. And I want, I want you to see if you can spot these three parts, <laughs> the three-act structure. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Interestingly, Jesus' mother is never named Mary in John's Gospel. It's just Jesus' mother, a little fact there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Okay, that might sound a bit rude. <laughs> but, you know, it's first century culture, not a rude thing to say necessarily. It's more like Jesus distancing himself um, in that conversation. Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said this, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Incredible passage, incredible story. Um, did you spot the three-act sequence there? Yeah, probably not like exact verses, but yeah, wonderful. The story begins, doesn't it? It's very happy, perfect story, hopeful. Um, they're at a wedding. Is there really a more happier occasion? But oh no, the wine runs out. Okay, the plot thickens, suddenly things aren't looking very joyful. But then, oh, the resolution comes, Jesus restores it. In fact, he goes a bit further, he, he creates better wine. Um, so let's do this then. Let's start with Act 1. Are you ready? Act 1, the wedding. Um, I'm sure we know that weddings in Jesus' time um, weren't a few hours long. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Charlotte and I celebrated our, can anyone guess how many years we've been married? Oh. You were there, Gavin. Twelve. You were there, I remember. Amy spot your drink on a very nice white... Uh, run, runner. <laughs> it's all recorded. We've got it on video. So, um, yeah, and you know, our, our wedding ceremony. I don't know how long yours was. About an hour long, something like that. And then you have the evening reception, a bit longer. But it, it does. If you know, if you've been to a wedding or whatever, um, it just goes very fast, especially for the married couple. It just flies by. Um, but you know, we learn in the book of Judges tells us that Jewish weddings were about seven days long. Okay, so a very long time, seven days. Um, and in this first act, we, we learn, we're at a wedding, um, and we're in a place called Cana. 
which is about 10 miles um, from Jesus' hometown in Nazareth. And so, you know, but both of these places, not really well known, kind of middle of nowhere. Nothing great. Nothing great has come from Nazareth. Nothing great comes from Cana. Um, but because it's so close to Nazareth, lots of people think that Jesus and his family were related to this couple. Um, especially the fact that Mary's like, God, the wine's run out quick, we need to do something. She knows she takes responsibility on herself. She feels a sense of embarrassment. So, yeah, we, we get the sense that Jesus is uh, quite close to this, uh, to the married couple, to the married couple to be, that is. And because we're in John, please, you know, I said last week, symbolism, this symbolism, the symbolic gospel, everything needs to be looked at twice, you know. What's really being said? We are at a wedding, of course we're at a wedding, but more importantly, Jesus is at a wedding, right? Something more significant's going on, isn't it? If there was one dominant theme that runs throughout the Bible, it's marriage, you know, it's, it's weddings, it's marriage. Um, what are weddings all about? Well, as I said, they're happy, joyful occasions, unless you watch that, what's that program? Don't tell the bride. <laughs> Should you ever watch that? <laughs> Sometimes they are not happy occasions. Essentially, you know, the groom, is it the bridegroom plans the wedding without, tell it, without the bride not knowing anything? And it can often end in disaster. <laughs> and they're just like really angry when they get to the aisle. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, um, weddings generally, though, are meant to be happy, joyful occasions. And they kind of ooze a bit of excitement as well, you know. There's expectancy, isn't there? There's, there's, you know, there's a new name. You know, there's, there's a new families coming together. Often as well, not all the time, but expectancy. You know, new life as well could form. There's a lot of expectancy. But maybe more importantly, a wedding and marriage is a metaphor used in the Bible between God and his people. That's what we get. And now if we look at books like Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, God and Israel are marriage partners. That's how they're described. And what unites them is this like covenant faithfulness. In fact, in Hosea 2, God describes himself as a faithful husband who desperately wants to fight and win back his wife, Israel. Okay, this is kind of what we see throughout the Bible. Um, so, Act 1. This isn't just a wedding. This is Jesus at a wedding, okay? Something more is going on. Um, well, like most films, you just want it to end there, you know? Sadly, though, grips you in, and then act two happens. It all gets very frustrating. I hate act two. I don't know about you. I just hate it when films take that dramatic turn and things go wrong. Like, why did they do that? We arrive at act two, okay? No more wine. Um, the wine's run out. And you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Just go to Asda's, a box of Malbec, come back. Sorted, right? Well, we know it's not that simple. You know, all the wine's been made and, and, and kind of the supply's basically dried up. Okay, that's what's happened. And running out of wine, I don't know if you, you know how well you know this. I mean, it's, it's, it's like I say, it's probably easily solved today. But back then it was not so easily solved and, and was actually quite shameful and embarrassing if, if the family has run out of wine. Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, the host and the families involved had this cultural responsibility of providing hospitality. It was really highly valued. You know, when people attend a wedding feast, 
it was expected that the host would provide an abundance of food and wine. In fact, that there would be lots left over. Um, all the guests were expected to be taken care of. And not only that, but weddings were massive social events. You know, pretty much any, any of the locals could come. As I said, lasted about a week. Um, you had to provide food and wine. And, and the food and wine represented joy. All throughout the Bible, wine equals joy. Yeah? Uh, you know, it is what it is. And so you run out of, you run out of wine, you're basically saying, we're running out of joy and celebration here. And it actually might look like a bit of bad omen on the married couple. You run out of wine at a wedding doesn't look good for that couple. Um, something's, uh, something bad's going on here, maybe. So, in short, running out of wine could, uh, could be pretty catastrophic. Ridicule, damaged reputation for the bride and groom, social embarrassment, an absolute failure to fulfill the promise that you said you would feed and, and, and give people lots of wine. Um, loss of friendships, probably, status, loss of social honor. We can't miss, uh, we can't underestimate the statement that Mary says, there's no more wine. You have to almost imagine the shock, the open jaws of people. You are kidding me. What, what else can go wrong now? But the running out of wine, again, get your symbolism glasses on. There's something more happening here. Um, we might just see a wedding at Cana running out of wine, but behind this is a greater disaster occurring. Um, for there is another marriage that's drying up. The barrenness of Judaism is looming in the background. God's people lack joy. God's people are growing tired, and they're waiting, and they're expectant for a Messiah who will come and restore all things. They've run out of wine. There's no more wine left. Uh, in this act, it all seems lost. The celebrations are probably quieting. The whispers, I imagine there's rumors starting to spread. No more wine? Are you kidding me? Um, in my experience, though, one of the things God is, is really good at is filling up things that are empty. And, you know, things that have run completely dry situations that seem maybe unfixable and, and doomed to destruction. And something we think that, you know, sometimes I think we think we need to make the first move and then God will intervene. But Mary doesn't say to Jesus, we're running out of wine. She says, there is no more wine. You know, the situation is bad, very bad. It's very dry, very bad. There's nothing Mary or the disciples can actually physically do to fix this situation. And as we kind of did, in, as we sang songs today, you know, the wonderful news is that when Jesus shows up, he can fix any situation. We sang about Jesus' blessings. Um, and sometimes there are things that are yet to come. Um, the good news is that when, you know, Jesus shows up when sometimes we've dried up, right? We don't need to pretend to be full to come to him. Uh, we can just be ourselves. We can be completely empty, completely ourselves, you know, tired, busy, whatever it is. We don't need to make the first move and try and help 
Um, we just need to open ourselves up to him, and he provides this fresh filling. Um, he always provides. And that brings us on to Act 3, the best wine. And this is kind of like the main bit, really, the main um, chunk of scripture devoted to this. And this is the resolution we've all hoped for, they've all hoped for. Jesus has, Jesus says his time has not yet come. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus thinks there's a way that I can do this that no one will realize. No one will, uh, and and I won't take attention away from the bride and groom. I won't draw attention to myself. I know my time's not come, but I think I can do this. And no one will know. Um, Well, we all know, but you know what I mean? At the time, it'll be a bit of a secret. So what happens, the, the servants bring six ceremonial jars not seven, six, right? And some people think that's incompleteness. You know, you know, there's incompleteness currently. Something's not quite perfect until Jesus comes, the seven. And um, these jars are called ceremonial jars. They would have been used. You know, Jews would have washed their hands and the cutlery and stuff before they ate. It's just a sense to kind of purify themselves. Um and Jesus tells the servants to fill these ceremonial jars with water. And I love this bit. It says, you know, Jesus doesn't say, fill them like so there's enough in there, or fill them to the middle, or fill them to the top. But it says, fill them to the brim. And I just get this picture of Jesus essentially saying, I want them to be overflowing, you know. I don't want that to look like they're lacking and you know, if you look at them from a distance, have they got water in? I want it to be clear. You know, I want it to be to the brim. And that's that really. No magic words from Jesus. No laying on of hands. Um, and as the, the poet, Alexander Pope, famously said, the conscious water saw its master and blushed. And that's all we get really. Jesus, um, he isn't boastful, is he, in this story? He doesn't make a big scene. Uh, He makes sure he doesn't actually steal the spotlight from the bride and groom. And I think that's pretty fantastic, despite the fact that really the spotlight should be on Jesus. And what does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus is humble, isn't he? He's meek. He's gentle. He isn't all about himself. He isn't self-consumed. He performs this first sign Secretly, really, in an unknown town. And as I said last week, you know, women and servants were the only people that saw this miracle. And they're the only people that really, their testimony in court wouldn't have been valued at the time. And so even if you did try and get some witnesses, it wouldn't really work. And there is something significant about Jesus filling ceremonial jars of water and then turning it into wine and then giving it to people to drink. I think there is communion uh, sort of hints here, breaking of bread maybe. But might it be that these jars, which cleanse the outside of God's people, that's what they were originally to be designed for. Might it be that now they're being used at this wedding to cleanse them internally as they drink? And we mentioned dryness, didn't we, just then in our lives potentially. But I do want to remind us today that, that Jesus, this, this, this picture of filling ceremonial jars with water and wine, Jesus has 
um, purified us, made us pure, set us apart, made us holy once and for all. Um, we are completely purified, completely clean. There's nothing we can do that can reverse that process. Um, because we are, we, we stand, or we most of, I'm standing, you're sitting <laughs> here today. We are holy, spotless, perfect, because we're God's uh, new covenant people. So that means that kind of any brokenness in our lives, if that's like a mental health issue, an illness, whatever it is, this doesn't change the fact that we are made in God's image, we're part of his covenant people, we're holy, our bodies are still temples of the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, it's really important sometimes for us to know that with anything in life, any struggle, any illness, whatever it is, we don't need God to fix that in order for us to encounter him, right? God encounters us through our challenges, not when they are overcome. And we don't need to fix people in order for them to encounter God or to grow. But actually, God encounters us. And we don't need to pray people away and to hope that these things go. But actually, we are, all of us, made in God's image. And that's who we are. That's our identity. And it's in this desperate situation that Jesus comes and restores it. And I love, the, don't you love the last bit? I mean, when he takes the wine to the, the master of the banquet. I love what he says. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You've saved the best till when? Now. Emphasis on the now. The best, the better covenant is here. God's best wine is available. Um, I want to just show us two Old Testament scriptures that really relate here. One's from... Amos 9, the days are coming. Again, the prophets are proclaiming what's going to happen in the future when God, when the Messiah comes. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading the grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. Second scripture in Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. The best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. According to the prophets here, and other places as well we can go to in the Old Testament, when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, new wine will flow from the mountains. And we said that, you know, the resources of God's people at the time, Judaism, they're becoming a bit depleted. But there was always a promise to God's people of better wine on the horizon. That promise was always, the, was always there. It, never, it wasn't a new promise. It was always there. And the master of the banquet says, the best wine has been saved till now. Um, in other words, the benefits of the new covenant are something that we can taste right now. 
Um, and why is that? I mean, we know, don't we, you know, when people have had too much to drink, they probably can't taste the better wine. Um, so that's kind of what he's saying there. So we serve the best wine first and the rubbish wine later. <laughs> but but uh, you, you strangely saved the best wine till now. And I can taste that it's good, so it must be great. Um, and that's incredible news. But this wedding, okay, this new wine still lives um, in anticipation of the great marriage supper of the Lamb yet to come. Um, that language we get from Revelation. Um, this is a wedding that we can partake of now, a feast of food and drink that we, you and me can partake of now, but it's still nothing to, com- nothing to be compared with what is to come in the future. We will all be invited to this wonderful feast, right, when we will be united with Christ. Um, somebody told me recently that they were called up to jury service. Not, not Rachel, someone else. And, and someone said, um, I've never been called to jury service. And I just said, well, one day all Christians will be called to jury service. And they're like, what? And I said, you know, because Paul says, we will judge the angels. No one laughed in the car, but um, <laughs> I thought it was true. It's true. It's a true point. Um, and I love when Paul does that. He just throws in things, doesn't explain it. You know, we, we will judge the angels. Will we, Paul? We'll say a little bit more about that. No, just move on. Okay, great. Um, but we will, you know. And likewise, if you've never been to a wedding before, um, which obviously in churches, most people have been to weddings, but my hairdresser says she's never been to a wedding and she's 30. So if she accepts Jesus, you know what? One day she will go to a wedding. Um, because there is an invite to an incredible wedding, incre- incredible, where the wine, the taste will never run out. And we have that to look forward to. Um, and kind of as well, you know, with the songs that we were singing, Blessed Be Your Name in all situations. As I was reading through John 2 uh, this week, I, did, I just kind of sensed that maybe there are situations in some of our lives where we do sometimes feel a bit desperate. Um, and this is a desperate miracle, by the way. This is like, help me. <laughs> and maybe it does feel like the wine, you know, the, the joy, the celebration, has kind of run out in that area of, of our lives. And maybe there are impossible situations that we face. They might not get fixed immediately, but we're really struggling with the tension of, of why, why not? Um, or maybe, you know, there's just, as I was speaking about wine, there was a sense that I, I want to feel full to the brim. You know, I, I want to I feel to the brim. I want Jesus to fill me to the brim afresh. Um, there's so much, I think, that we can pray into right now. Um, I've highlighted a few things there, but I'd love us to spend a couple of minutes with one another and just praying into into some of those areas and maybe you want to say yeah you know i don't want to go into detail maybe you do but i just want it was the lovers who could pray about this situation right now um cool let's do that together and um yeah we'll call it a, call it a day. <laughs>